Welcome to Rumination Study for Parashat Vayikra. And here's our bracha for studying some Torah. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kishanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tivanu La'asuch B'Divrei Torah, Ve'harevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka, Be'finu Ufiamka Beit Yisrael, Ve'nie Anachnu V'tze'etzeinu V'tze'etzei, Amka Beit Yisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka, Ve'lomde Torateka Lishma, Baruch Atah Adonai Hamlamet Torah Le'amo Yisrael. Amen. All right, Shlomo, what you got for us this week? Oh, yes. Rumination 24. If he called, would you know his voice? Mm. Can ponder that for a minute because there's a lot there. Yeah. What does it mean to hear his voice? How can we hear his voice? Does it does it have to be audible? You think about the, well, God told me to do this, or, you know, for those of us who were young and in love, well, God told me to marry you, girl. Right? It's like, well, I think it's did, the chef doing the talking. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, did he, did he uh, speak audibly in, in that, for that to happen? Or what was that like? Oh. I love the fact that it starts off with Shmuel. The account of Shmuel in chapter three of first Shmuel makes a nice children's story. Of course, Shmuel lived in quiet times, quiet times with regard to Hashem speaking, that is. He lived in the days of the judges, Shoftim, when each man did what was right in his own eyes. This is so prevalent today. You can easily lose count the number of people that do what's right in their own eyes. Oh, I don't believe that. I believe this. This is what you run into all the time. And in my conversations with people, one of the things I always stress is, this is not my own personal belief system. Because the master said it in Yochanan 7.38, he that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow Ma'im Ka'im, rivers of living water. That's right. That's got to be so comforting too, because so many times at least i was going to say so many religions but i've only been a part of one other religion and that's christianity most of the belief and everything that we have faith-wise there came from our own opinions how we felt about things with judaism you don't have to you don't have to make stuff up just get your source exactly that's just amazing it's just like well so what do you believe about you know for instance, we were just talking about hell just a minute ago. It's just like, so what do you believe about hell? It's like, well, what did the sages say? What does the Torah say? Mm-hmm. You know? So really, when we talk about hearing God's voice, we we literally can say we hear his voice because do, does not the sages tell us that the words of the Torah is the voice of Hashem that goes out every single day? Mm-hmm. This is why every time we read and study the Torah, it should be as if it's brand new as if we were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's because in your weekly, daily study or your set times of study, which the sages also talk about in Perky that one should always have a set time when and where one should study the Torah. And as far as I'm concerned, then basically speaking for myself, I hear Hashem quite clearly. Amen. At that time, it's it's when you no different than when you get out your sedur and you start devining. Yes. Because always, I always remember this. 
The Torah is the revelation of Hashem, his holiness, his righteousness. And as Rashi says, it's the beginning of his way. You know how you always hear people saying, oh, my way or the highway. Well, try saying that to Hashem. (laughs) (laughs) It's his way or some, some crazy way. His happen. way is a way of life, of blessing, right. right? Of contentment, of peace. I could the list goes on. Right. The, the fruits that Shaul mentions in uh Ephesians and Galatians also. He touches on it there too. Those are nothing new. Those are all in the Torah. Everything he said. And what's interesting is it was in those dark days that Shmuel first heard Hashem speak. At first, he didn't know Hashem's voice. See, a lot of people don't know his voice. Right. So my sheep know my voice, as Mashiach Yeshua taught us. Right? And what does he warn at the beginning of Yochanan 10? After he says, I am the good shepherd, all that have come before me are thieves and robbers right after the third trip to Eli the elderly priest helped Shmuel understand that it was him Hashem himself speaking to the young boy there is a very deep mystical aspect to this bring it out it's obviously Shmuel had um Rectified his nefesh, uh, his ruach, and his neshama through the four worlds. Asira, Yetzirah, Berea. And he only had Kaya and uh, Yakita left. And for one to achieve those two states, mystically, um, you can literally, you can... And speaking allegorically, of course, you would understand or perceive the essence of Hashem. Because ultimately, the voice emanates from the divine light or the orange. So, wow. Um, it's the very thing that keeps creation going. So this that's the other mystical aspect of it is that if we know this, what keeps creation going because we're his creations and that's the very thing that keeps us alive. But if you're so departed from it, then you're in a state where you will continue to degrade and you won't rise above your own ambition, your own will, your own desires for he that saves his life will lose it. But he that loses it for my sake, he will find it. And where do we find it? It's in the Torah. Our life is in the mitzvah. That's where it is. Wow. So now we talked about the Torah being the way. Now you're talking about Torah being the life. Mm -hmm. That's legit. Come on. (laughs) It brings up an interesting question for those of us who live in dark times. And boy, do we live in dark times right now. We're seeing things that the prophets wanted to see. And the master refers to us as blessed are you for you see these things. Yes. So, you know what? It's a privilege that Hashem has granted us to live in these days. As dark as they may be, we're the Zedekim that light the world, that keep it going, that hold it together. The Lamed Bav, Zedekim. I always did love that one. Right. Um. So it brings up the question, how will we know Hashem's voice if he were to break the silence and speak to us? I mean, if you have this imagery in your head of standing at the foot of Har Sinai and you see the biggest hoopah you ever saw, because that's exactly how the sages put it, the thick cloud, the thunder, the lightning, the shofar that kept 
getting louder and louder and louder and the Kol Hashem. The commentary in the Humas says, all creation went silent. The waves right. stopped roaring, the cows stopped bowing, the chir birds stopped chirping. The Malachim and Berea stood to attention. And oh. then the king of the universe speaks. That is some of the most powerful imagery that I could come up with to describe that very day. Even, I mean, it's, that make a great Kabbalistic meditation. <laughs> right. Because that's the space you know? in which the Torah is presented. But so many of us have our Eagle Zahav, our golden calf. And even theology, even your theological box is your golden calf. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're putting it before him and saying. This kind of takes us back to Kitisa when it says um, Zay. Eloheka Yisrael. When the Torah phrases it that way, it uses the word Elay these. You know, why does it say that? Because to teach us that man has a propensity for doing the very opposite. Committing Avodazera, you know, Avera. Right. You know, and today it's just riddled with it. You know, we see men who are lovers of themselves, covetous, boastful, proud. You know, they desecrate the name of Hashem, greedy, self-centered. You know, the list goes on. That's Shaul, 2 Timothy 3. Um, the scriptures tell us that in such times as this, deception is always lurking in the shadows. You have false teachers just waiting to take advantage of the ignorant, those who don't know Torah. Happens every Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not just, you know, not just in your Sunday school, quote unquote, but the Internet, too, like YouTube. You know, oh, there, there, there is a lot of that. You know, I yeah, exactly. I, I've seen so much of that. And if you if you made the the Torah a mark of your discipleship to the master, then you are in a far safer place than most believers are today. Because you will know deception when you see it, because you have the righteous holy standard to compare it against. And if it doesn't measure up, if it contradicts, if it doesn't lift up the Torah, cause it to stand up right and or and fall down then you know you should run away from it. That's right. Because that's what our master said. He said, I, am, I did not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it or to cause it to stand up with good interpretation that you may be filled. Well, I was you know, how can we know? How can you know? How can we know? How can we be sure? And you were about to say something. Yeah, I was. I was trying to look for the source in uh, Legends of the Jews so I could read it verbatim, because I was just thinking about the powerful imagery of the mountain uh, and it being lifted up like a hoopah over our heads um, for like a, a kiddushin, um, because that's really where we became Hashem's wife, uh, and. Um, it's just the it, the way they write it in here is beautiful. So I don't know if I'll be able to find it. But anyway, you can keep going. I was just going to say that oh, yeah, there's a lot great. more to this imagery because it was it took us outside of time and space when this revelation occurred because you had the dead raised. You had all of the dimensions like the heavens and the earth completely unified. It was almost like a, a Yom Echad, like the first day of creation experience. So the whole born again, being born anew, you know, kind of idea. But you were you were saying something. 
Um, it's actually easy. And I, I've already said this. If you embrace the Torah of Hashem as a mark of your discipleship to Messiah, then you are in a far safer place than some of our brothers and sisters. You see, and this is the most important part. You can tell Hashem's voice by what he will not say. Right. He will never turn you away from his loving instructions in scripture. If you want to recognize his voice, always remember this. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, but it stays big on signs, miracles, and wonders. Right. Revival camp meetings and these conferences are all geared around it. We need revival. We need to see mir signs, miracles, and wonders. I can't tell you how many times in my 30-year tenure in UPC that I have heard that phrase used. Wow. And the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you. Let us go after other gods, Abodazera, <laughs> which you have not known. And let us serve them. What did Hasatan do with the master during that 40 days? What's one of the things he tempted him with? Serving other gods, namely himself. If he you took bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Yeshua says, it is written, you shall right. serve Hashem, your God, him only. Yeah. And you know how the Talmud tells us that Hasatan is uh, one with the Yetzirah. So if you think about bowing down to Hasatan, you're bowing to your Yetzirah. You Most know, people like don't have that that awareness of that concept. You know, they think they blame everything on Satan, but they don't realize it's two sides to the same coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been loving uh, seeing that because I was reading the Lakute Torah for this week, and it gets into the more mystical side of things. And it was talking about how when we offer the korbanot, we're offering up our animal souls, which is our yetzer hara, yep. our flesh. <laughs> so the animal's substitute for offering up our flesh, offering up its desires, offering up the yetzer hara, like literally slaying the serpent with every offering that we bring. Notice it says in Vayikra, starting this week, you know, Vayikra and Zav, when you bring. Come on. You yeah. when you when you come near Hashem to the door of the Mishkan, that animal is you. Yep. And the and the, and the other mystical aspect of the Mizbeach law that it has a ramp rather than a staircase. Why does yeah. it have a ramp and not a staircase? Right, because we're not to expose our nakedness climbing up the steps. We're to be and, modest before him. Yeah, yeah. And that's Parsha, uh, Parsha Yitro, right? Like at the very end, right before we get into Parsha Mishpatim. Yeah, Moshe builds the altar of 12 stones for the 12 tribes. Yeah. Well, real quick, if I can throw this in, because I just found it. Legends of the Jews. Um and the section that talks about the revelation on Mount Sinai, it says the first day of the third month, the day on which Israel arrived at Mount Sinai, a heavy cloud rested upon them. And everyone except Moshe was forbidden to ascend the mountain. Yea, they durst not even stay near it. So they shouldn't go near it. Lest God smite those who pushed forward. With hell and fiery arrows. Goodness. So that's part of the plagues happening. And then it says, the day of the revelation announced itself 
as an ominous day, even in the morning, for the diverse rumblings sounded from Mount Sinai, flashes of lightning accompanied by an ever-swelling peal of horns, that is the shofarot, uh, moved the people with mighty fear and trembling. God bent the heavens, moved the earth, and shook the bounds of the world so that the depths trembled. The heavens grew frightened. His splendor passed through the four portals of fire, earthquake, storm, and hail. The kings of the earth trembled in their palaces, and they all came to the villain Balaam, and that's Balaam, and asked him if God intended the same fate for them as the generation of the flood. So this was flood level. Think about what was happening during the time of the flood. Like Hashem was making those same sounds and movements with the heavenlies and the earth. Then it goes on to say, um, da, 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 da. although the phenomena were perceptible on Mount Sinai in the morning, still God did not reveal himself to the people until noon. For owing to the brevity of the summer nights and pleasantness of the morning sleep in the summer, the people were still asleep in God when God descended on the mountain. Moshe betook himself to the encampment and awakened them with the words, Arise from your sleep. The bridegroom is at hand and is waiting to lead his bride under the marriage canopy. Think about the, the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom with their oil. And it was like all of a sudden the door opens, you know. Like that was the giving of the Torah. And then uh, one more thing here, because I don't want to take up too much time. So it says the heavens opened in Mount Sinai, freed from the earth, rose into the air so that its summits towered into the heavens. So you remember the Tower of Babel trying to build a tower into the heavens to make war with Hashem? Hashem was like, you don't need to do all that. I'll just take a little like Mount Sinai. It's a small mountain. I'm going to take this little mountain and I'm going to bring that up to heaven. Like, if you really want to get to me, you got to go through the word of God, right? So anyway, the mountain goes into the heavens while a thick cloud covered the sides of it and touched the feet of the divine throne. Accompanying mm. God on one side appeared 22,000 angels with crowns for the Levites. There were 22,000 Levites we find out in Parsha Bamibar uh, during the taking the account of the people because they replaced the firstborn. So there's one angel per Levite, which is crazy. The one to one ratio. The only tribe that remained true to God while the rest worshipped the golden calf. On the second side were 60 myriads, 3,550 angels, each bearing a crown of fire for each individual Israelite. Double this number of angels was on the third side, whereas up on the fourth side, there were simply innumerable. This is ridiculous. Okay. For God did not appear from one direction, but from all four simultaneously, which, however, did not prevent his glory from filling the earth as well as the heaven. In spite of these innumerable host of angels there was no crowding on mount sinai there was no mob there was no room or there was room for all the angels that had appeared in honor of israel and the torah they had however at the same time received the order to destroy israel in case they intended to reject the torah so it keeps going on and on, but I just wanted to bring this picture of this major, just, this is a, a momentous event. When we say the Torah given on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, like, that's not a little, little occurrence. Like, this is world, universal, higher worlds, like, everything coming together, like, Thor 2, the dark world, when they were talking about the, the different portals and kingdoms coming in alignment and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah that's nothing compared to what happened at mount sinai so anyway that that's how we received the tour <laughs> that's really powerful imagery i mean 
the part you when you read, you know, and the earth shook and trembled. Does anybody tremble before him today? Outside of the Jewish people, because I know they tremble. I know we do, because the Hebrew word Yireh comes to mind right away. Yeah, Bezrash, yeah. You know, the reverential fear. It's not that we're afraid of Hashem. We know his voice because we know what he won't say and what he won't have us to do, have us do. Anything that's in contradiction to his will. That's right. Because it's stated in Tehillim 119, and, and I'll paraphrase that his Torah is forever settled in Hashemayim. Amen. The letters of the Aleph Bait are the building blocks of creation. Why would he violate that? So saying the Torah is something we shouldn't do, it's an Old Testament, but yet it's the fabric of creation. That's it. That's, you know, if... I mean, he looks in, you know, the Midrash says, and he looked into the Torah... And he brought creation into being. Zimsum. And what I've been learning in Kabbalah is that we have this ability ourselves. Really? Yes. Wow. Well, Think about you're... your words that you speak, like the ones right now that we're speaking, bring rectification, bring wholeness. Unite us with the creator. That if you feel a fire burning inside you, because I know I do when I speak Torah, it's burning out all that idolatry, all that sinful nature. 100%. And it's, and, and it's uniting me with the creator. Because I'm submerging my own ambitions, my own will, my own desires, everything. My self-awareness. Because the Kabbalists speak of this. If, if your intention is to ascend and rectify your nefesh, your ruach, and your neshama in the, in the three worlds, and beginning with your nefesh and ascend up through the sephiro, starting with uh, Malkut of Nupa to unite it with Zeranpin, the there's three triads in the sephiro. The first one starts with Keteret, Keter, Chokmah and Bina. That's the first triad. It's a good meditation on the divine name. Right. Because the Yod and the He, the Yod of Chokmah, of Abba, then you have the Vav of Ima, of Bina. The, the He or the Vav? The Vav and the He. Oh, but the I, point to, the I point to the Yod because by his, very, by his hand, uh, allegorically, he fashioned creation because the, the letters of the Aleph Bait are referred to as the, the stones of creation. This is why the foundation stone is so big in, in Kabbalah because the Malbuo, he dislodged it and the waters from beneath were let loose upon the surface of the earth all over the place. I mean, it flooded, it only took 40 days. But the thing is, we have this ability because uh, Solomon says in Mishlei, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Right. You know, we, so we, using our words, we're, we're basically moving around blocks. Yeah, also they have vibration, a frequency that resonate in the upper worlds where the letters originated from. Ah, this is why meditation is so important because you learn to suppress your own desires because like the meditation on the four worlds, the meditation on the Sephiroth, meditate on his voice. What does it really mean to know the, the etzem, the essence of Hashem? Remember when we talked about Yosef's bones last week and how Moshe brought the essence out yeah. of Israel, 
That's yeah. what we need to keep on doing. Because mystically, we're bringing Mashiach out of Rome and back to Eretz Yisrael. But he needs to be seen in us. And one of the ways he can be seen in us is that we perform his mitzvot. Wow. That demonstrates our love for him and our loyalty to him. See, every time you recite the Shema, you are declaring your unswerving loyalty to the king of the universe. Anything else is idolatry. Because it always stands in contradiction to his will, his revealed holiness, his revealed righteousness. See, this is... This is why Deuteronomy 12, 32 through 13, 4 is so important. And then also uh, Deuteronomy 18 as well. Right. It should always be in the mind when someone comes up to you, hey, you know, God gave me a prophecy or, you know, he told me this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Because you, you have a lot of today, especially, I, you know, there's a lot of them, self-proclaimed prophets out there. Yeah, people call themselves prophets today. They do conferences and are like oh i got a word for you and you're just like uh <laughs> you're cringing in your seat like okay <laughs> yeah. you know and i would ask them the question okay being in the nations that we are who was the only gentile prophet to ever arise we just talked about him actually senior balaam Exactly, and he's the only one that right. the Torah mentions. That's it. And he tried to curse Israel, but he couldn't. How can I curse what Hashem has not cursed? Right. And even though those words, as eloquent, eloquent as they are, and the oldest prayer in the Siddur, Ma tovo oha leka Yaakov. Mish kenoteka Yisrael. That is one of the most ancient prayers in the Siddur. But even that did not merit Belam a place in the world to come because of his motives. But that's one of the prayers we recite in the liturgy daily. Yep. Man, I mean, that speaks to Kavana, man. I mean, really got to mean it, you know? Yeah. Keep going. Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Hashem, your God, is testing you to know whether you love Hashem, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Hashem, your God, and fear him, Yireh, and keep his commandments and obey his voice. Nice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, Devi Kut. Cling to him, especially today, because... Look Look what we have to deal with today. Yeah. This may sound very off topic and swerve, but when I hear the word Devekut, I think of the koala bears. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, you ain't getting that baby off the mama. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's a good analogy. Um, yeah, when he calls, will you know his voice? Yeah. He's calling us back to him. That that's getting more to the essence of Teshuva. You know, it's not just about changing your mind, you know, or your ways, but it's also a forsaking of the wrong ways. It's a despising of anything that's contrary to him, to Hashem, to his Torah. Yeah. I was actually going to bring up uh, 
the Kehot Humash Hasidic Insights back from Parsha Kitisa. And this is Shemot 33, 23, where Hashem tells us, my face you cannot see, but my back. It says, you will see my back, but literally and. So in the English, it says, but. But the Hebrew brings out that this word is and. So you will see my back and my face may not be seen says the words you will see my back by themselves would have implied that Moshe will not see God's face. That's the implication, especially since God had already told him, you will not be able to behold my face for no man can see me and live. The fact that God added the words, my face may not be seen suggests there exists some way it can indeed be seen. Now, I want to bring up the point that there's a word called re'e, and you can relate that word to yere as well, because those share the same uh, etymology when you look at the word for seeing. As we see from the account in Bereshit 22 called the Akedah, where it says, on this mountain, Hashem will be seen. It says Adonai Yireh. And there's a whole lot to really get into with that. But seeing and fearing have this, this connection here. Because I love that you brought up fearing Hashem is specifically Yireh. So with seeing, it says there's a way we can see his face. It says, so God's statement, my face may not be seen, implies that there is paradoxically a way to see God's face without seeing it this idea can be understood or can be understood from this verse if we slightly repunctuate it reading it you will see my back and my face however you will see my face by not seeing so god's statement my face may not be seen implies that there is a paradoxical way to see it to explain, there are two methods of grasping a concept. If a concept is within our sphere of experience, we can understand it. If it's outside our sphere of experience, uh, if it's outside our sphere of experience, we can understand it. Or siga, if it's outside, but still connected to it in some way, we can we cannot understand it, but we can understand what it's not. So that's a chunky way of saying we can understand it if it's within our sphere of understanding, but if it's outside, as long as it's connected to something in our experience, then we can understand what it's not. So like you're saying about fearing Hashem, hearing God's voice, well, okay, we know what it means to hear a voice, but what about the fact that hearing God's voice is outside of our sphere of understanding? Because it's like hearing Hashem's voice is a lot more than just an audible sound that hits your ear. So with that being the case, then you would switch over to the second concept, which means hearing Hashem's voice is connected by understanding what he won't tell us to do. That is a way of hearing Hashem's voice. So this is what the Hasidic insight is saying, which applies to seeing Hashem as well. So one of the ways to see Hashem is by knowing what he's not, which is just incredible to think about so it says we mentally abstracted level after level of possibility until the process of elimination we gain a glimpse of it on the other hand if it's entirely beyond our sphere of experience we can neither conceptualize it what it is or what it's not the face of god then is certainly altogether beyond our sphere of experience should therefore logically be entirely unknowable, even by way of what it's not, which is negation. But the astonishing implication of God's statement, my face may not be seen, is that God is allowing Moshe to see, i.e. to know his face via negation. So just wanted to bring that, that uh, commentary up because by knowing what Hashem won't say, 
we can know that when he is speaking to us, whether we're aware of it or not, we'll know that, hey, that's that's the voice of Hashem, because this is something he would not. I mean, this is something he would say, because based off of what it is, is something that he would not say. In other words, if you're hearing a voice going, OK, don't do Pesach, do do Xmas or do Schmeister or, you know, go do some other thing where you go out and pillage a city. Like if you heard that, then you would know that's not God's voice. But if you heard, yeah, keep the Pesach, you know, then you would know that's God's voice because, well, number one, it's written and we're encouraged to do it. And also, this is also something he would he he would not command us not to do. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like saying, you know, this is something you would not not do. It's like, is that a double negative? Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, that's really good. I mean, <clears throat> that's again, that's two sides of the same coin. Um, yeah. You know, so a lot of that is foistered upon the unsuspecting layperson in your Christian congregation. You know, the, the thing that I'll, I've re- said this before is that the pastor's theology becomes the layperson's theology. His understanding of scripture becomes their understanding of scripture. And thus this contradiction is perpetuated. And this really leads us into the next part of this, with what time is remaining, the significance of the garden. <clears throat> you know, we roll the scroll to Vayikra this week, the heart of the Torah. This is where we can understand Mashiach because it's everywhere in this safer, everywhere. To okay. Misunder- just- to misunderstand this book is to misunderstand the balance of scripture. It is that important. To understand its significance, one must go back to the garden. This is what the Mishkan is all about. It's getting us back to that place where we had unrestricted fellowship with the king. Try and get that imagery in your head. If you can find a commentary that gives this kind of imagery, you will understand Vayikra the way you're supposed to and why this is the first book that every Jewish child memorizes. Because our master had this safer memorized at the age of three. So is not Vayikra the third book of the Torah? Come on. Torah was given in the third month by a third born. And the heart of it is the third book, which is what a child is supposed to learn. Start from here. And you know what else is interesting? Are you familiar with uh, equidistant letter spacing? Yes. Part of Torah codes? Yes. There's one regarding... um, the word Torah itself, every 40, if you start with the first Tav in Genesis and you go every 49th letter, it spells the word Torah in Genesis and Exodus. Numbers and Devarim are different. It's spelled backwards. Then when you come to Vayikra, the first verse if I remember this correctly, it's uh, Yeshua's name, every eighth letter. Wow. The pattern is it's pointing towards the center branch of the menorah. Oh, ho, ho. Vayikra is about distinction. Vayikra tells us how to be holy. Um, 19 verse 2. Be holy for I Hashem your God am holy.
Yeah, one must go back to the garden. You see in Genesis 3, we are given an account about an event that fundamentally altered the fabric of the universe. This goes back to where I was pointing out earlier about how we have this ability to affect creation here on this earth. One of the phrases that the Torah presents us with, especially in Parashah Noah, is that man's ways have become corrupt upon the earth. He just totally corrupted his way. This current generation is based as is doing the same thing. We're at a level of uncleanness, of corruption, that is rapidly approaching the point where Hashem will actually intervene and bring about the final Geulah. Prior to our sin in the garden, we regularly walked and talked with God. If that does not astound you, then you have not fully learned the truth of Vayikra, the book simply titled, And He Called. Imagine a place, a time where the infinite one was contained within finite creation, Zim Sum. You know, the Orkaim touches on this, and there's this, look, this comment from Parashat Bamidbar regarding the place that is with him. Hashem is not in the place. We're in the place that is with him. The conceptual space of creation that exists within Zimsum is contraction. Again, going back to the first paradox of Kabbalah, imminence and transcendence. Uh, Yesh and Asmus. Right. Problem for us is our sin in the garden ended that ended that at least for a time. So in the last chapter of Exodus, something remarkable occurred. A pattern was faithfully followed. The pattern that I show you, Moshe followed it precisely. And a unique structure was erected in the wilderness. This finite place, these three dimensions, this Mishkan was where time and space transected. Let that sink in. I tend to view the Mishkan like a telescope peering into the infinite, the aim or aim self, light without restriction. To be able to even perceive that would be phenomenal. So you mean the Mishkan is like a lens to help us see your shim? It represents Wow. So not only that, but the pattern of constructing it brings us back to a garden scenario. As you as you mentioned that, I was thinking two things. Number one, about the lens. Yeshua himself tells us, how can you ask me to show you the father? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. <laughs> then number two. There is this, this understanding about the cherub, the angel that was placed at the entrance to the way of the garden, to the tree of life, right? And you had this flaming sword that turned this way and it turned that way. Well, I'm, I want to look up the word because uh, I didn't even think about, you know, what, what is that word for the turning? But the point is... The, I thought about the thought of the way this sword turns. If you can make it past the sword, then that would have you in a way to get into the garden, like to get back on that path on, on that tree. So you know how we have halakhic times. There are certain times we need to do a prayer here. Certain times we celebrate a Yom Tov here. Certain times we abstain from doing things here. Like one, one of the big movements is coming up is no hummus for a week, you know, a week and a half almost. It's going to be a long time. It's, it's totally fine though. Mm -hmm. But that's like getting one movement as the flaming sword comes by, you know, like the matrix 
It's like, you know, and so this pattern, right? So we're able to construct and move and twist and go here and go there, go back, duck, jump. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. And this is how you get back into the garden. This is how you get to partake of the tree of life. But you have to follow the pattern and you have to go through the path. You have to go in the truth. You have to walk in the way. You have to be filled with the life. So anyway, I just thought about that as you were mentioning, because I was just like, oh, yeah, like the flaming sword. Yeah, usually now picture this. You're in those days. You're bringing your Korriban note to the Mishkan. You've gone through the process of purification. So now you're in a state where you can bring your, you can draw near, you know, you recreate when he draws near. And one of the first things that happens is that the Kohen asks you certain questions. And they're directly related to you bringing your offerings. Have you gone through the prescribed ritual purity? Have you done this? Have you done that? You can't hand over your korban unless you answer all those questions to their satisfaction. Again, this is the sword that you mentioned, where he placed a carov with the flaming sword, guarding the way to the tree of life. What does it say in Revelation? Who has the right to the tree of life? Those that keep his mitzvot. Right. And it's called that washing your garments. <laughs> Jude writes, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. <laughs> if, see, the thing about Vayikra is, this is because it's looked upon as a boring, dull book by Christianity. They completely misunderstand Hebrews. They completely misrepresent it. They think it's a salvation issue. This is what I've always been told. It's yeah. not about that at all. This is about a God dwelling among his creations. The infinite one, blessed be he. Build me a mishkan so that I can dwell in you. Betokam, in you. Not among, but in. Prepare me a place. Right here, this fleshly case that I'm encased in, you know, I have to prepare it. I have to be careful I don't break my vessel. There's a pattern to follow. There's mitzvot to keep. It's like upkeep yeah. and maintenance. Yeah, you got to maintain the vessel. You got to prepare it to bring yourself. I mean, the mystical aspect to this is so deep. We'll run out of time very quickly if I were to even go there. Um, yeah. But if you notice the word vayikra, the conjunctive vav, this Parsha is picking up where Piku Day leaves off. The, these two Sefer are so deeply connected to one another. You have the pattern in Exodus, the last parashiot of Exodus beginning with Teruma going all the way to Piku Day, and now we are in Vayikra. And right. he called the small Aleph. The spiritual significance of that, you can... Ben Burton just put up an article on Ladder of Jacob. Go there and read it. It is good. He's got a new drop? Yes. He's got a new drop, my friend. Snap. <laughs> uh -oh. <No. laughs> Love it. So 
we know that the small all that speaks of humbleness and it's the re the, relates directly to Bilaam who wasn't humble because Hashem did not speak to him in an intimate voice. There is a difference between two words, Vayomer and Vayidaber. Right. Vayidaber has a harshness to it, a, a formal tone to it. Mm -hmm. Well, Vayomer, can you hear the vowel, the enunciation? You can hear it. You letters. can feel it. Exactly. This is what I was talking about earlier. The vibration, the frequency of those letters, those combination of letters bring intimacy. But by the bear, hey, stand up, pay attention. What I'm telling you is important. So listen up, you know, just like that. Wow. Powerful. Just so you know, that word and uh, bear sheet three. At the end of uh, that chapter, it's the the root of it is hafak, hey, pay, kaf sofit. Okay, the only time it's used in that form for twirling and whirling this way and that way, that's the only occurrence. However, it has a lot of occurrences in the Torah. One of them is the overthrowing of the cities of Saddam and Gomorrah. So like this element of destruction. Like turning because, them upside down, maybe? Yeah, right? Like like the sages talk about um, Har Sinai in Avodah Zarah, where he turned it upside down. Come on. You know? And, and, it, was like, and it was like a cup yep. with water. The yep. waters of the Sota. Mm. Yeah. Well, fortunately, Israel was unfaithful. Well, she gets down there, the letters depart the Lukot, and you know the rest. <laughs> right? But here's the other one. Turning the water into blood to overturn is basically what it's getting at. And literally, one of them is to convert. Like the way the staff of Moshe was turned into a serpent. Uh, so... This understanding of destruction, destruction in the Jewish mind is is really separating the 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 wheat from the chaff and bringing light out of the darkness. That's considered destruction. It's considered destroying your flesh the moment you refrain from sin and begin to grab a hold of the mitzvot. That's destruction. So many people have a negative view of that yeah oh i don't have to do what hashem tells me the torah is done away with I, I don't have to do that you can hear the trepidation when they say that they're like tripping over their tongue you know yeah <laughs> you know as you don't tremble at his word you you don't want you do you really love hashem because if you did you would obey him yeah but the thing is, when you follow the pattern, you're building your Mishkan. I mean, getting rid of your Yetzirah, you're destroying your desires of your flesh, and you're bringing them into the proper alignment. Because your Yetzirah is not bad, you know, it just wants what it wants, you know, but you channel those things. So you destroy the intention and the desire of rebelliousness, of rejection. You destroy that and you bring yourself into this state of being born again, repentance, all of that, right? And now you're reconnecting with the divine. Yep, you're, as Shaul says, bringing every thought into captivity that exalts itself against the knowledge of Hashem or against his Torah. You know, that right there. Yeah. Every high thing that exalts itself. Take it down. See, the yeah, the Yetzir Hurrah, we were created with both inclinations. But the, the thing is, I say you can use the impulsive nature of the Yetzir Hurrah to help you make decisions for good. Attached yeah. to your good, to the good inclination. Amen. That's part of the morning blessings. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. 
You know, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Don't bring us into the power of scorn, of strife, of bitterness. All those things. Shaul writes about it in Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are these. Delay. Eloheka Yisrael. Come on. That's some Ari drops right here. Some Ari's all. Which reminds me that the Erev Rav, Da'at, and Edut have the same gematria, 474. Wow. You know, this just, um, I'm starting to get into the Ari for this week's Parsha, too. I'm, oh, boy. <laughs> it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's bring it home with a final final section here. So take it away kind of wherever you want to go, and then we'll uh, bring some applicable takeaways. Yeah. Um, Is there a burning part you really wanted to get to? I mean, other than all of it, because I know all of it. Okay, burning. here's the thing. Christianity says, <laughs> yeah, Christianity says the Corbin Oak didn't work. They were a failed object lesson. Mm but they work. It's like you're saying Hashem doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. You, a lowly human, his creation, telling the potter how to form the clay? I don't think so. He even rebukes Job for, for this kind of behavior. Were you there at the beginning when I named all the stars? When I stretched out Hashemayim like a curtain to let her bait. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Um, this, this is how we need to approach Vayikra. Because he is calling. He's oh, calling right now. Look, look at what we're dealing with. Look at what he's doing with the earth right now. With, with Corona. He's right. using it. For his glory, for his purposes, to weed out those who are not serious, who are sitting on the fence. They've heard the words of Torah. They've been, sh- you know, people have shared words of Torah with them. You know, my wife and I were at the mall yesterday, and we're actually started sitting down with a with a Christian, and we started sharing Torah with him, planting a seed. Perhaps one day, you know, he'll. He, you know, think on it and realize it'll come to that place, you know. Hey, just to just to encourage you on that, I just learned this past week from the sources I was reading, it was saying that if you bring Torah into your soul, like if you study it and you do a mitzvah, there's an impression left on you that is like eternal. Like there's a mark, like Torah was here. And what's so neat about that is in the Olam Haba. You know, Bezrat Hashem, if, if we continue making Teshuva even after this life, you know, because uh, the purification process of Gehenna and things like that, and however that all fans out, pans out per person, um, you start where you left off, you know, in the Alam Haba. So setting people up in this world for success in the world to come, regardless if we see any fruits of it, we're, we're pushing people on a higher level so that when the alum happens, they don't have to have that element of shame. Like, ah, oh, I missed it. I wish I should have learned more. It's like, well, just because you listened and because you allowed some Torah to come into you, you're putting yourself in a really good position for the alum So anyway. Yeah, you'll merit the world to come. You know, it's... So as... So, are you ready to learn by Ikra? As you read, remember these two things. The Corbano work perfectly. Other Man. than leaving glimpses into a pattern, the Corbano have nothing to do with what Christianity calls salvation. Come on. Beloved, my use of the present tense tells you something. The Corbano were not replaced, nor will they be. As you read Vayikra, put yourself in the picture. 
we are being called back to the garden. That's where it all began. That's where he's bringing us back to. Because who offered Corbin out in the garden? Adam. And you see, why does Rashi, here's the thing. This week's verse with Rashi that I get from Rabbi Baruch Rappaport in Israel deals with that. Why does the Torah use Adam instead of Ish? Because it's the rectification of Adam HaRishon. Right. So you got to ask yourself if you're a person who is stuck on the crucifixion and keeping that well, are you stuck on the Akedah of Yitzhak? Because that's totally an everlasting offering as well. This is actually why Mashiach Yeshua was offered on a tree. Because it's continuing the Akedah. This is pivotal moment in the in the Korbanot. And it literally is the Akedah that uh, personifies all of the offerings. There is a source for it. And uh, don't have time to really quote the whole thing verbatim, but just know that all of the offerings are summed up in the Akeda of Yitzhak. And when Yeshua is offered up on a tree, it is an echo of that. <laughs> so if we're anti-Korbanot, anti-sacrifices, then we're going to have to throw out the crucifixion as well. And I don't feel comfortable with that. No, not, not when the writer of Hebrews says that he offered himself up without defect once on. and for all. He is all five of the Corbinot rolled into one. That's it. That's what he is for us, for all of creation. I mean, if you can get your head around that while you read Vayikra, you will understand. The work that our master does because especially in hebrews 9 where the translators have changed the verb tenses in that chapter 11 times to past tense every english bible is that way in that chapter it is an absolute act of wickedness the writer of hebrews speaks or writes in the present tense regarding the mishkan in the wilderness that's the context he writes in. He's not talking about the temple, even though he lived during the Second Temple era. But he puts it in the context in the wilderness. Why does he do that? Because in the wilderness, there's cleansing from the pollution of the world, of worldly influences. The heir of Rav, the rabble, the people that cause trouble. The Arizal goes on about that one. Yeah, <laughs> he, the dot. Which is why I bring up the gematria for those three words. Yeah. What's being done with the word of God, basically. Yeah. You know, don't add to the Torah. Don't take away from it. That you may shomer mitzvot. Keep them. Amen. That you know not going right or left, but walk in the way that Hashem, your God, puts before you. For I set before you this day, life and death. Choose life that you and your children and your children's children may dwell in the land and prosper. Amen. Rukashim, beautiful. We're going to go ahead and uh, say the closing bracha. And that will conclude our rumination, even though we barely got started. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>